Hey everyone, I'm Preston Lee. And I'm Clay Mosley. And this is Freelance to Founder. Every week, we sit down with freelancers like you for actionable coaching calls with one mission. To help you ditch the feast-famine lifestyle and build your own sustainable business. At one point, we were both brand new freelancers, barely making ends meet. But by now, we've started, grown, and even sold a few businesses of our own. And we want to help you do the same. If you're ready to go from freelance to founder, then join the army of freelancers who are taking matters into their own hands. Visit freelancetofounder.com to apply for your own on-air coaching call. And now, get ready to take some notes because an all-new episode of Freelance to Founder starts right now. On today's episode, we have a fun conversation with Rachel Cook, who designs high-ticket training experiences for massive clients. We're talking Fortune 500 companies and better. Rachel's business is doing well, needless to say. She's happy with the amount of money she's making and where her business is headed. But she doesn't necessarily like the fluctuation in revenue and not knowing exactly how much she'll make in the coming months or years. So Clay and I walk her through a few ideas, including how to diversify her product offering in a way that might bring in some more predictable revenue in addition to her high ticket offering. We'll dive in after this quick message from our sponsors. Oh, and before the break, I want to let you know that right now we're looking for smart, ambitious freelancers who are ready to scale their business to be guests on our upcoming season of Freelance to Founder. If you've been listening for a while and wishing you could get some advice for your business specifically, just visit freelancetofounder.com and click the yellow microphone button. We'd love to feature your business on the show and give you our best advice for scaling up your company. Okay, we'll be back in just a second with Rachel. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Freelance to Founder. I'm Preston Lee from Milo.co and joining me on the air today is my friend Clay Mosley from GetDripify.com. Hey, Clay. What's going on? Let's go, man. Let's go. Let's, Let's do another go, episode. It's been, it's, been, it's been a while. Like We have two episodes booked today. We did, I guess we did one last week, but I'm just excited yeah. to chat today. Uh, it feels like it's been a long, it must have been a long week for me, I guess. But um, we're we're joined <laughs> on the air by uh, our new friend Rachel. Rachel, I didn't catch before we hit uh, record where you're calling from. So why don't you uh, say hi to the folks and tell us where you're calling from? Yeah, hi, folks. Uh, my name is Rachel. I am recording from New Jersey. It's only Wednesday, so if it's already a long week, that is not a great sign. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the weeks <laughs> and the weekends all blend together, so it's hard to sometimes keep track of uh, if it's a long week or <laughs> or what's happening. But either way, we are here, uh, we're recording, and uh, I think this is going to be a great conversation. Rachel, kick it off by telling us a little bit about what you're working on currently. What does your business look like? Yeah, absolutely. So... My business is maybe a little bit different than ones that you typically work with. I've listened to a couple episodes and it seems like you guys play a lot in the realm of um, like pretty technical people. I would mm-hmm. say I play on the softer side of B2B. So I am the founder of a company called Lead Above Noise. And we do what I call experience design. 
Um, we design interactive experiences to help leaders and their teams move forward, rev up results, deliver more impact. Mm. Um, some people might describe it as training, coaching, facilitating, and all of that stuff plays in there. But I think where we stand out is in our design of the entirety of the experience. It's a little bit about content. It's a lot about conversation. Okay, interesting. So so I'm a CEO or I'm maybe, you know, somewhere in the C-suite working in a company and I hire you. And what, what do you actually do for our company then? Yeah, it, it totally depends on the situation. You might reach out and say, you know what, we've been having a pretty big talent attrition issue at the senior levels and I need to better understand mm. it. Can you come in and run a series of focus groups and make some recommendations? Um, you might say, we are a relatively new team and we're not really gelling as a leadership team. Can you come in and facilitate a conversation to get us all on the same page? Let's establish some norms and some commitments. Um, or it might be something more content-driven. Hey, we're still in the pandemic. We're struggling to figure out how to lead remotely or to build a, a powerful employee experience. We're trying to build a culture of coaching. So it really could live in any of those realms where it is about people and their ability to deliver impact on your business. Oh, really That's interesting. interesting stuff. Yeah. I don't think we've had anybody on the on the show that does what you do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Correct definitely. me if I'm wrong, Preston. No, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I've ever even spoken with anyone that does this kind of work. So this uh, is really same. interesting stuff for same. me. Same, yeah. <laughs> So, so you'll come into a company and, um, and I guess, like, how, how does that interaction begin? How do they find you and who, who are they? Like, who typically is hiring you? Yeah, so it's a great question and it is part of the challenge. So who is hiring me is probably most typically an HR person, um, could be the head of leadership development, learning and development. It could be an HR business partner. Um, in terms of how they're finding me, it is predominantly through my network and word of mouth. Okay, awesome. So someone's had a positive experience with you in the past, or you know, they're hanging out at in their HR club or something, and right. uh, and your name and the experience comes up. Okay, interesting. And so, um, and so, what like what size of companies are you typically working with? Then, I mean, obviously, big enough that they would have like an HR director or a, or you know, senior staff, things like that. You're not typically working with like a five-person company, right? No, definitely not. I am, um, <clears throat> and those people are not typically sending their HR people to the club. <laughs> right. I'm really typically working with large enterprises. I do a lot of work with Fortune 500 and, okay. and you know, maybe companies a bit below that tier. But it is typically a pretty significant enterprise where, yeah. you know, the price tag for my work is... Um, digestible. Because, because what I will say is the work that I do, unlike, you know, it sounds like a lot of the people you talk to, if you don't bring me in, nothing in your business is going to break tomorrow, mm, yeah. right? It's not like your website is broken, your code is broken. Mm -hmm. um, it, it could be argued that a lot of what I do is a nice to have. And so it is, um, there are certainly, I would say, a limited number of organizations that are making that type of investment. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Very, very interesting. Okay, so I guess maybe maybe for me and for the listeners, here's an here's a here's a question that I think maybe a lot of people are asking, which is like, uh, you know, I'm a freelancer. I want to be working with Fortune 500 companies. I'd like to have. I'd like to sell high ticket items. You know, most of the people we talk to and work with on a day to day basis are, I would say, low to middle price range for their particular service. Um, mm -hmm. How how I mean, it's I guess you say like it comes from your network, but. Give us a quick background on like how you even got started in 
you had to get your first client from yeah, somewhere, right? I'm wondering that too. <laughs> and so how, 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 like, how do you have a network to begin with that has high ticket potential clients? And mm-hmm. I don't know, just give us a, a rundown of how that all kind of got started. Yeah, absolutely. So I, before I started my business, which was about six years ago, I was working um, in human resources full-time for a Fortune 100 company. Um, and as I like to say, that particular company was great at attracting strong talent, but not necessarily retaining it. And so what that means is I had a ton of colleagues in HR, <clears throat> excuse me, at HR at that company that have since gone on to other organizations and have uh, brought me in. Um, yeah. So it really is extremely organic in that sense. But I would say pretty close to 100%, if not 100% of my business in some way can be traced back to my job at that company. Oh, very interesting. And Clay, mm-hmm. I'd love your take on this. But mm-hmm. but to me, that says like, you know, so often people want to like straight out of college, never never get a job and they want to like be an entrepreneur, which I think works for some people. Most definitely, but um, there is like for a lot of us, there is value in getting a job and and building a network and learning the ropes from people who have been doing it for years, and and then at some point breaking off and doing your own thing. By then, you have uh, advanced skill sets that you couldn't learn in college. Uh, you have a network that you can rely on. You have friends in the business, and so there's definitely like an upside to not diving into entrepreneurship right out of school or. You know, I obviously don't want to discourage that if that's if that's like the path people want to take, but I think there's definitely value in other paths as well. I don't know thoughts, guys. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think there's I think there's certain um, professions and and certain verticals um, where it does make sense mm, to yeah. do it this route. Um, like, so if you are someone who wants to to hit Fortune 500 companies or or even um, even the you know the Inc. 5000, you know. Um, I would say like gaining those contacts in, I guess, the quote unquote corporate world um, is completely beneficial. Like you can get you can get those contacts on um, those connections way faster uh, versus if you just like straight up freelance and like, you know what I mean? Like that, that, to me, that's yeah. super difficult. Yeah, um, you'd, you'd have to build up quite a bit of a brand uh, to be able to hit those Fortune 500 companies just straight up freelance. Um, and I think that's a long road versus like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Hitting, uh, working corporate. I guess yeah. Rachel, how long, uh, how long did you work for other people before you decided to strike out on your own? Um, I worked in HR full time for seven years yeah. and I think what you're saying is spot on. I think it depends on what it is that you're doing. If the mm. business that you're looking to start is kind of inventing a product or a category, then I think it's totally fine to to kind of go straight out. But if what you're looking to do is anything that falls in the realm of consulting within an organization, I think there's absolutely value in having had your own experience within so that you understand how to translate. Like, I have an understanding of how to deliver impact because I've been on the other side of it. Mm, and I think yeah. there's real value in that. Yeah, I actually think some of the some of the advice that I give to freelancers um, that really resonates come from my days as working uh, in in a corporate setting, working with freelancers and contractors. So I was on the client side, right? And so you can really add a lot to the picture if you can say, "I've been a freelancer, yes, but I've also been a client, uh, and I and I know what your clients are looking for and the pros and cons of working with freelancers and all that sort of thing." Mm, yeah, that's spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, well, Rachel, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about where your business is headed. Then, thanks for giving us a picture of of uh, you know where where you've been, where how you got started. Let's let's talk about where you're going. Listeners of the show know that everyone who jumps on a coaching call here with me and Clay, they fill out a quick questionnaire before they come on the air. And in that questionnaire, we ask, where are you currently on a scale of one to 10, one being freelancer, 10 being founder? Uh, and and uh, if you want to also come on the show like Rachel is today, we'd love to have you. We're, we're trying to find our next batch of smart, ambitious, driven freelancers who want to scale their business. Um, you can visit freelance2founder.com. And at the bottom of the page, there's some details on filling out the questionnaire and booking a call with us. We'd love to have you. So uh, visit freelance2founder.com. Rachel did that. You filled out the questionnaire. Rachel, you said you're currently at a three, so closer mm-hmm. to a freelancer. But then in the next six or 12 months, you'd want to be more like a six. Can mm-hmm. you give us an idea of what the six might look like uh, in the future? Like if, if 12 months from now, what's kind of the perfect ideal scenario 12 months from now for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I I love that you guys don't define the numbers on the scale because I think it is so contextual. Yes, I think it looks different for everybody. I I love that you brought that up. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, the reason I didn't pick a 10 is that in my mind, in my business, a 10 would be kind of growing in scope and scale. More revenue, bigger team, bigger projects, like building out an agency. Um, Mm. And that is not my aspiration at all. I would say for me, the reason I'm shooting for a six and you know what, what that means to me is I'm actually really happy with the amount of money that I'm making and I'm really happy not having any full-time employees. I don't have any aspirations of that. And so in some ways, you could say I'm exactly where I want to be. The challenge for me is that because my engagements are, they are high ticket, they are high dollar, they are very custom and high touch... And they are also very much based on a moment in time or an instance. Mm. It's really hard for me to plan, to set goals, to have an intention, and frankly, to do proactive business development, right? Because getting on the phone and asking people, hey, any chance you have a massive organizational change coming up or (laughs) you're significantly shifting your business strategy, like that's a really hard thing to find. But when it finds me, it pays really well. And so for me, a six would mean I have a way of doing a little bit more planning and preparing year ahead, setting a revenue goal that actually comes from someplace thoughtful versus throwing a number in the air, Um, having a better understanding and a a more of a sense of control over the kind of the rhythms of my business, feeling empowered to say no to a piece of work because I, I know that if I want more later in the year, I know how to find it. Hmm. So that's what a six would look like for me. Well, thank you for explaining that. This is so interesting because we hear all the time from freelancers like uh, this really, to me, it sounds like it comes down to this predictability thing. Like we've talked about this. We, In fact, we talked about this uh, in our five-day recurring revenue challenge, which we can link to in the show description. Uh, We've talked about it, I feel like, quite a bit on the show, but, but I'm not sure ever at a level where someone says, I'm doing I'm doing really well with the work that I have, like really high ticket, high quality clients, but I still feel like it's not predictable enough that I can, I guess, sleep at night, you know, uh, knowing exactly where my business is headed in the next twelve months. And so it's really interesting that, like, at at all levels, this is something that freelancers deal with. It's like, am I am I going to suffer through a feast famine kind of scenario, or am I going, or can I build a business where I can rely on predictable revenue? 
So I guess, Rachel, like my question is, um, what what are you finding is maybe the biggest hurdle to to diversifying your income a bit so it's a little more predictable? What are you what are you seeing as like a, a big hangup? Yeah, I think that the biggest challenge for me is candidly, I'm really good at what I do. And if I get on the phone with a potential client, my close rate tends to be really high. Um, I'm able to sort of make the case for, hey, if you need this thing and you already know you need this thing, I'm pretty good at convincing you why it should be me versus anybody else that you're talking to. But finding people in the moment when they need the thing is really hard. And Mm -hmm. because what I do is so... um, What makes me good at what I do is that I am a great... I'm a great asker. I'm a great listener. I'm a synthesizer. I'm able to extract wisdom from within the organization. So it doesn't really lend itself to like, I'm just going to throw an online course out there or, you know, I'm going to hire a bunch of people and kind of throw them in the marketplace under my brand. It feels, it feels like the sort of the magic in what I do. That was a gross overstatement, but I'll just use the word magic because it makes me smile. Um, it has a lot to do with me and my personal or individual skills. And that feels really hard for me to figure out how to scale. Yeah, that makes sense. So it sounds like, uh, let me let me ask you, when, whenever you get a client, is it is it recurring, reoccurring, or is it one time? I would say it's typically one time for now. And maybe I'll hear from them again a couple years later. But it's not... Um, it's not like retained agreements. It's a discrete piece of work with a beginning and an end. Okay. Is that just the nature of what you do or is it something that you could do on retainer? It's. I would say it's the nature of what I do currently. Okay. Okay. And how many, like, so a typical client, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to gain some context here. Um, so a typical like client of, you, of yours, how many mm-hmm. Different, like how many times would they hire you over a, a certain period of time, or, or could they hire you? Yeah, I would say um, anywhere between one and a couple. It's not um, again because it is a big investment in a particular outcome. Um, it's not the type of thing that companies are necessarily doing on a quarterly basis, right? It's much more like, oh, this big thing is happening, or this big problem is presenting itself and we need to build, you know, a set of skills or competencies or we need to redefine how we're approaching something. And that's the kind of thing that a company, you know, some companies it's once in a lifetime. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane, effective home workout. That's because Hydro 
pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant, or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs, and did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, okay. So from from I could see why I could see why you would want some sort of low level uh offer that's something that's more predictable, a little bit higher volume. Um because like so the issue I'm the kind of the the issues that I'm seeing are I think a couple of ones. Um one is you're hitting these Fortune 500 companies which is amazing. Um the issue though is it's not recurring or right. or it's not very reoccurring. Um so then therefore you have to basically start the process over again and and try to find a new fortune like another high ticket client, correct? That's right. Is that, am I describing that correctly? Okay. Yeah. Um so um and then the other issue is is that I you're getting you're gaining your clients from referrals word of mouth and that's coming from your current high level clients correct yes okay so there's an awareness problem too mm-hmm. um and so like the problem with with relying on referrals word of mouth is that that's completely unpredictable you cannot control that that's um i i think that i think where a lot of people and this would be good for the listeners is that uh, and I hear it so many times. I swear, like every time I talk to a business owner, ninety. Whenever I ask them, "How do you get your business?" Ninety percent of the time, they say, "Oh, referrals or word of mouth." Like, and that's it. And yeah. the the issue with that is, is that it's not a controllable. That's right. Um, and I always tell people, like, control the controllables, and that's that's an uncontrollable factor. Um, sure, you can do things that encourage more referrals, but like, it's still it's an uncontrollable thing. Um, so. I think you need to figure out if there if there is a way, and there may not be a way to do some sort of recurring or reoccurring service that you can provide your high ticket clients. Um, and if not, um, even if you can, I would still try to figure out something on the low level uh, to get the the low hanging fruit and get business on that side. Um, any thoughts at the at this point? Yeah, I mean, what's so tough about that is like. Uh... 
I guess I guess what's so tough is like you once you fix the problem or you come in and you fix like this one thing, you know, they're not going to keep having the same problem ideally. I guess they could potentially, but yeah, I don't know, Rachel, what ideas do you have? Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. Whether it's coming in and fixing a problem or whether I'm coming in and building out a custom curriculum, which is also something that I do, you know, you build a curriculum and and they have that for years mm. or Right. If you come in and solve a problem and they have it again in six weeks, I really think that starts to beg the question of the quality of your solution. (laughs) And so, yes, by the definition of what I do, it is really challenging to generate something recurring. There are certain, you know, there are people that do sort of advisory or coaching, um, which you can do more on a retainer. The problem is, what makes me stand out is that that's not what I do. And those spaces, frankly, are much more crowded and they're a little bit mm. more commoditized. And so it just feels like a trade-off for me. I, I think it's a much harder space to compete in. And it's not, it's not what I do. Yeah. I think, you know, I think a lot of times when we think recurring, we think like monthly or weekly or whatever. I wonder though if you could do something like you know, we're going to, and and again, and forgive, I always say this to our guests, forgive our lack of understanding of, you know, the nuance of your work. So I, I don't want to offend you. So if I do, I apologize. But here, here's what I wonder is like, if you could, you could say like, we're going to come in, we're going to do our thing. Uh, we're going to do this awesome experience to help your, you know, team gel better or share a vision or whatever it is you're going to do. And then, and then could you say, and part of the program is we're going to come back in six months and uh, evaluate yeah. evaluate your progress together. Um, see, you know, if if what we worked on together is working. If there are adjustments that need to be made, could it be like a check in thing every six months or every, even every twelve months? Um, where it's like, okay, great. Now that that's solved, you know, in the in the next six months, keep an eye out for this, this, and this, which we can also come back and help you with. I don't know. Is that is that even a, a possibility? Yeah, you know, I love that idea. Um, and if you do you want to learn more about my industry, you can come to the HR club anytime with me. <laughs> um, candidly, I, I, and I know that I can be a little bit difficult to coach, but I think my challenge is I'm working with really senior executive teams. And yeah, for sure. sometimes the issue isn't the money, it's the time. Mm. Um, they just don't, they don't have the capacity to sort of pull out of the day and, and lean into that. And that is Again, another one of my challenges. Yeah, and so to do that every six months or convince them yeah. to give up time every six months or 12 months is can be a challenge. It can be. Yeah. Well, then it, it sounds like me, it sounds to me like uh, maybe a supplementary low ticket item then is, a, is something worth exploring. I don't know, have you thought through any of that or do you think that's something worth looking into? I'd be really interested in in delving in there. I think that is probably where more of your expertise lives than mine. And so I'm here for it. Yeah, okay. So um, have you given any previous thought to, to, I guess, less high-touch, high-ticket items in the past? Yeah, I have. Um, you know, I've put a couple of things together. I just haven't... Um, so as an example... Like I said, a lot of the work that I do is is totally custom. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a number of programs that I'll say kind of live on the shelf that I could sell at a much lower price point because they're already designed. Mm. Um, I haven't quite cracked the nut on how to sort of gain more eyeballs and and yeah. more interest and attention because again, I'm I'm really good at cultivating relationships within my network, but expanding it is is not where I think I shine. Yeah. 
What okay, kind of so, product are we talking about? Yeah. Uh, it could be like a workshop or a group coaching program, um, something designed around leadership or organization effectiveness. But would it I be think, kind of like a DIY, like the HR professional buys like a PDF and some videos or something from you and they kind of set up the experience themselves and you're not really involved? Is that kind of what that um, would be? No, although maybe that's something interesting to consider. What I mean is that normally a company would reach out and say, hey, we need to build this capability. So will you come in and do a bunch of discovery interviews and design something completely custom to us? And what I'm describing instead is, hey, if you need to bump up your agility or you need to bump up your leading through change capability, Mm. I've got a workshop and I'll come and I'll facilitate it, but it's already designed. We're not customizing it. I just show up and you know we do it and I leave and that becomes a much more affordable option. I think there's I think there's a market for you um, with what you do in the the uh, midsize small business arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, um, not your not your like small mom and pop shop. I'm talking like um, they might they might be local businesses, but maybe they have like 50 employees or 100 employees. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think that there's a sweet spot there and I, I could be wrong, but I'm just going by from, from my experience with, with these types of companies, um, where these, these companies are big enough, like they, they, they're big enough to where like they they have cash flow, they got money to spend. Um, but they're not quite big enough where they might like, they have all their HR stuff like, or leadership stuff, like fine tune. Um, so I, I think that there's this could be on the your um, quote unquote lower level side of things. I don't know, Preston, or uh, do you have any thoughts on there? I, I this is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I think uh, I've I can think of companies I've worked at and companies I've had as clients and just companies I've you know I have friends that they've worked and they've told me like. Like I, I can think of lots of companies, sort of that, yeah, forty to fifty to sixty employee range, maybe like a small tech startup, or um, you know, because so often like these really small companies, I shouldn't say really small, really small is one, two, five people. These these you know small to medium sized companies have such young founders, young CEOs, a young executive team that like they just they they might be great you know coders or they might be great uh, whatever artists, but some sort of creator, but they they aren't naturally leaders. And so they don't like, they just don't get how to run a company and how to build a yeah. company culture. Like that can all be a struggle. And so I can think of lots of companies, yeah, that that could really benefit from some training from someone who's worked with Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies, like someone who has who has gone to a big company and said, here's what's working for them. Let's distill that down into something that works for you. And I think your high ticket clients could then actually become a selling point for your medium and 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 below ticket clients. You know what I mean? So yeah. you come in and you say, I've worked with, I don't know who you've worked with, uh, and I don't know if you're allowed to say or not, but but you come in and you say, I've worked with, you know, Google, uh, and I want to come in and work with you as well. That that can be a real selling point. Yeah, I'm super open to that. I, you know, because I come out of the Fortune 100, that's just where a lot of my network is. Yeah. I don't really know how to find or connect <laughs> with the people you're describing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm here so, for it. So I, I have a I have a friend who, and I, I don't think she does exactly what you do, but it's in the HR realm. Um, she uh, 
she does exactly what I just described. Like she, she worked with bigger companies. She used to work at LinkedIn. Um, and then she, like she worked in HR and then she went and spun off and did her own company. It's an HR company, but this is who she caters to. She caters to the medium sized, small business and that like she rakes it in. Um, and that's the reason why I, I was thinking of, of, of this, this, uh, market like there's so many there there is so much business to be made in that market i would not be surprised if you if you decide to go after this market that that's where most of your revenue comes from um and as far as like targeting these people it's it's actually not that difficult i would say it's it's probably easier than your fortune 500 companies uh, from <laughs> at a, least, from a marketing from scratch, yeah, like from scratch to let you yeah. reach those people, yeah, and to reach someone. Obviously, with your network, you have an advantage reaching those bigger profile, higher profile people. But interesting, yeah, Clay. What are what are some ways that you might recommend that she reach uh, some of those medium sized companies we're talking about? And then I might have a few ideas to throw in there as well. Yeah, so it, it's just an awareness issue, right? So, like, how do you solve an awareness problem? Well, it's it's through marketing. Just like that's the short answer. And so, what you need to do is, uh, and and you can be strategic about this, um, and, and you need to figure out where these people are. But it, it's super easy to target, um, uh, especially in in Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, for sure. I would be all. Over LinkedIn, if I were you, that's yeah, I that's where I, I that's where I hang out. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you that's tried? Where, that's where the people running those fifty-person companies are hanging yeah. out too. Have you tried LinkedIn ads? Yeah. You have. Have you mm-hmm. had success there? I haven't. Which doesn't mean they don't work. It equally could mean yeah. I've done a really bad job of you know <laughs> targeting or designing. I'm I'm super humble about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think oh, what's important to keep in mind, like depending on your cash flow, and it sounds like you you might have the cash flow to to be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, is that someone out there is as good at LinkedIn ads as you are at at these experiences that you design, yeah. right? And so it might be worth just like you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't hope that. Uh, one of your clients would try to do this on their own. <laughs> it might make sense to not try to do your own advertising on your own because that's just not your realm of expertise, right? And and you right. could get a much higher ROI or or any ROI, a positive ROI on hiring someone to do it for you. And there are agencies that'll do it for fairly inexpensive and will do it based on the ROI that they bring your company. And so you pay like a small flat fee, but then you pay based on actual clients that they bring you. And I think that could really drive especially in you know in a network where you maybe don't have personal connections i think that could really drive some quick and good revenue in that medium medium level product offering yeah so i i am super open to the idea of hiring a professional i think i'm a little bit intimidated because i don't know what i don't know and um i i almost don't know where to start mm. Yeah, and that's a good question. I mean, like, just so just so that everyone knows, like, advertise running ads is like super hard. I think that's one of the. I think that's the hardest thing in marketing, out of all things in marketing, uh, because like, out of ten ads, only one of them is going to work. If that, um, yeah, so you if have, you're that lucky, yeah, doing it from that, scratch the first time, then you're doing well. Yeah. Like most people try it and fail, and and just think that sure. advertising doesn't work, right? Yeah, and I I could almost say one out of twenty ads. Like that's why you always have to like pump them in and out, in and out, and out. But like, so, but before that, you got to have a good foundation too. Like you have to have good, and this is just 
my two cents. You have to good have good content that's that you're pumping constantly on your your profile and your page. Um, because to me, that is what's going to drive the ads. The way to do ads, and this is across all platforms, is it's it's a two prong approach. Um, you 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 drive um, you you put you publish value driven content, and then you run ads for that, and then you run retargeting ads for people who engaged with the value driven ads, or retargeting ads for people who visited your website, um, and that and the retargeting is the conversion. Like that's a, that's actually asking people to to sign up for something. Now the question is: is okay? What do what do I retarget? What kind of offer? In my opinion, you shouldn't be running an offer of like, "Hey, hire me." Like, like especially in this lower level tier, um, I think you should have something that's that's pretty um, low hanging fruit. That's really easy for people to sign up. And so, like for example, one of the things that I do. Um, and this is catered to small businesses, is that I'm doing this thing called Power Hour. And it's literally a Zoom um, where we do one thing over one hour and it's a done with you kind of thing. So um, kind of kind of funny, the first the the next one I have coming up is on LinkedIn. And so I have I'm doing one Zoom session over one hour and we're gonna learn one thing, and that's how to create a kick-ass LinkedIn profile. And I charge $37 for it. And I'm not like, I don't make a ton of money off of it, but it's really easy for the person to buy into that. And the whole idea is you do a whole bunch of those, build up your audience. Cause I'm going to have like 50 to 60, 70 people on the Zoom. Um, that's 50 to 60, 70 leads that I have. Um, and then at the end of the Zoom, you pitch them an offer. Like that, that to me, that's how you do it. And it works pretty good. Like I'll get eight to 10% people will buy into the higher level offering. And so what you could do is you could do something like, hey, here's one thing that you can do in your organization <clears throat> from a from an HR leadership, whatever perspective. Um, let's go through it together over the next hour. I mean, and at the, at the end of the hour, you go, hey, if you want more, I do this other thing and book a call with me. That's it. Um, and you run ads. You run ads... Um, to get people to buy into the $37 thing. That sounds really interesting. Like deeply uncomfortable, but really <laughs> Okay. That's, that's a where good growth sign, happens, right? <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's where growth happens. Um, I, I, I was going to say something similar, which is like you could have a lower tier product to further diversify. Like, you know, earlier in the episode, we talked about like maybe having a, an off-the-shelf product where you're not involved at all, which can be really critical in, in you know, driving this recurring revenue where you don't, not every transaction you make relies on you spending actual time. You might just have something like prepackaged, a DIY sort of give this to your HR guy or, or give this to your CEO or whatever, and, it, and it's going to, you know, you're going to have a small transformation. And then it leads to like, I also provide these bigger transformations. If you have success with this DIY version, imagine the kind of success we could have when we come in and we do a big custom version for your company. And so uh, I, you know, I think, yeah, having like an entry level something to get them interested to, to begin to trust you. Because like you said, uh, as people get to know you and trust you, you're able to close those deals. And so it's all about just finding more people that you can gain their trust. I think other ways you could do it too, like if you're more comfortable on the phone than running Facebook ads, for example, I don't think there's anything wrong with with like calling up companies um, who you identify, 
you know, meet a certain set of criteria, whether it's number of employees or number of revenue or anything like that. Um, you know, I get people reaching out to me all the time because we have our business listed in on IndieHackers.com. Um, and, and it tells what our revenue is and how many employees we have. And they reach out with product offerings for my size of company. And so you could do something similar like through an Indie Hackers directory or any other kind of business directory. You could review like Glassdoor.com uh, and see like what companies with 50 employees have a poor CEO rating. And then you could literally call up the CEO if you're great on the phone, which it sounds like you are, and say, hey, I noticed you know, your ratings aren't as favorable as, as you'd like them to be. We have this uh, out-of-the-box uh, CEO, I don't know, whatever you might call it, like a tra- leadership training to help help you catch the vision of, of whatever, whatever your pitch is, right? Obviously, I can't do it justice. But, um, but you could find these other avenues, uh, directories, glass door, telephone calls to start to drum up some business. It's not, it's probably not going to be as high of a close rate, obviously, as some of this other stuff you're doing. But over time, you'll start to build a reputation in that, in that different market. Um, and then you'll start to have a network that you can then leverage the same way you've been, you've been doing the higher ticket items. I don't know. Is any of that resonating? Yeah, that's like dark forces stuff, but I'm, <laughs> I'm really intrigued. I would, I would, um, I'm going to add to that there, since you have a podcast, so this is right up your, your alley. Oh, yeah. Um, there are, and I don't know if you're currently using this, Rachel, but there are companies that they're, they're a booking service. like. That's what they do. Yeah. They book you as a guest on very well-known podcasts. Like these podcasts have audiences, like big ones. Um, and so, and, and I can I can point you in the right direction afterwards. Um, I, I, I don't want to say it here just because I don't know if the guy really wants me to. Um, but it, it's one that I use. And I get on these podcasts that are like, uh, there's like tons of people. I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to be a guest on this thing. Uh, but I don't do anything. Like he just books it. And so I would I would recommend looking at something like that because a lot of people are like, they always say, hey, get it, uh, you know, become a guest on other people's podcasts. Well, it's not very easy to do organically. Um, but you could sign up for a booking service and it's really not as expensive as you think. Yeah. Um, and you, like I get on seven podcasts a month. You know what I mean, and Ooh. so that's a really good way of of just getting your brand out there uh, in front of the right audience. Well, and um, imagine, and then the last imagine thing if I'll, you could get on a podcast yeah. real quick, Clay. Imagine if you could get on a podcast and like solve a, a problem for the podcasting company. Like, let's say it's a bigger company, like Gimlet Media or something, and you get on their startup podcast as someone who's going to fix something that's broken at their company, right? And then you fix it on the air or you or you begin the process of fixing something on the air and people experience in real time as they listen to the show your ability to solve these kinds of problems. Now all of a sudden, you know, they're calling you saying like, we have that same problem. We'd love for you to come take a look at our company. So it could be, I agree, it could be a good way to to just get your solution and your value out there to the world. Clay, you had more, sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, I was gonna say, like, if, like, for example, how many listeners do we get uh, for for this podcast? Do you, do you know ballpark? Uh, yeah, we get like between depends on the time of year, thirty and fifty thousand a month. Yeah. So, how much per episode? Oh boy, that varies hugely. But you know, like, like five to ten in the first thirty days. Yeah. So imagine, and Rachel, I don't, I don't think that your audience is here. <laughs> um, right. But imagine if if this was a podcast that your audience, like, it's it's an actual 
good fit. Like that's five to ten thousand people that you would be in front of all in one one podcast episode. Mm-hmm. And so if you did that over and over and over again, like th- there's huge exposure. This is the beauty though of like if you're gonna be a guest on a podcast though, you gotta have some a low level offer to be able to pitch because they always ask, hey, how how do you want people to find you? They always ask that on the podcast. And so you gotta, you can't just say, oh, just go to my website. Like, no, like say, hey, oh, by the way, I'm doing this like $37 thing power hour. Like, go do that. That that's the best thing that I wanna point people to. You know what I mean? Um, and then the very last thing I was gonna say. Uh, that I think would be super beneficial to you and Preston, super self-promoting here, um, but it, it is <laughs> relevant. Um, I would highly encourage you to join my Facebook group. Um, it's called The Marketing Playbook. And if you just go to getdripify.com slash group, um, G-E-T-D-R-I-P-I-F-Y.com slash group, um, I put out tons of like tactics and strategies out there that you, that would totally help you hit this B2B market that we're talking about. Awesome. I will absolutely jump on that. Thank you. Well, Rachel, I think this has been a fun conversation. Uh, What the listeners don't know is we had a bunch of technical issues. So hopefully it's (laughs) been uh, valuable for you. Uh, We've had a lot of fun chatting with you. Is there anything in the last minute or two here that you want to see if we can cover or we want to add or anything before we wrap up? No, this is so helpful. I will just say, I think the fact that you guys don't speak my industry in some ways was really helpful. <laughs> yeah. It's like getting outside <laughs> of the box and thinking a little bit differently. That's true. Um, yeah. It was really valuable. So I so appreciate your time and your thought. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that it was valuable. I, I That's actually a really great point. Like getting outside of, you know, we don't know what we don't know about your industry. Mm-hmm. And so we're just kind of sharing what we know from experiences we've had or whatever. So that's, yeah, that's a really cool way to look at it. Yeah. Well, we awesome. appreciate you being here. Thanks for taking the time, Rachel. And uh, we wish you luck. You. We'll, we'll have to check back in soon how things are going. You got it. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for joining. Freelance to Founder is produced by the team at Millo. Visit millo.co to level up your freelancing. And Dripify, visit getdripify.com to become a bad A in business. Freelance to Founder is also part of The Podglomerate. You can check out more amazing podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. The theme music for this show was produced by Joaquin Carud. You can catch past episodes at freelancetofounder.com or by searching Freelance to Founder in your favorite podcast player. While you're at it, we'd love an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. Until next time. See ya.